part two, learning to live and learning to die. The traditional Egyptian paideia, or education, consisted in energizing superior and integral wisdom for the good of the entire body-like state, permeated and sustained by the royal car, the vital principle, and for the soul, Ba, both governed by the sacred principle of Mart, truth, right, measure, justice. This paideia had been under the rulership of the priests or philosophers, as Isocrates maintained, because the priests had a leisure, shola, which allowed learning, shola, aimed at producing the contemplative man, aner theoreticos. If we accept the fact that the ancient Hellenes, not only the Pythagoreans, revered the Egyptian form of government and imitated their teachings regarding the soul and their spiritual exercises, there is no reason to doubt that philosophia, at least in a certain special sense, is indeed a product of Egypt. The term itself, Isocrates, is among the first of those who started to use it, may simply be a rendering of an analogous Egyptian term, now unknown, but probably related to some compound of meri, love, and rek, knowledge. It is not necessary to be a cultural hero to understand that the term philosophy may cover and include different ways of thought which cannot be reduced to the monomythic Hellenic rationalism praised by those who thereby try to conceal their own intellectual crimes and excuse some modern superstitions. As John P. Anton observes while discussing the philosophical trust in Eros and in the power of Logos, which cannot endure without the divine language of being and sacred mythology, quote, I feel certain that the right to philosophize, to gain access to this intellectual virtue, is not something one secures by paying annual dues to the American Philosophical Association. End quote. It is difficult to decide whether the Greek term nous, intellect, intuition, perceiving, essential and non-discursive understanding, may really be derived from the Egyptian verb nu, nua, see or look, related to the Greek noio, see, perceive or observe, or the Greek sophia, wisdom, from the Egyptian seba, teaching, learning or star, as Martin Bernal boldly asserts. However, such philological uncertainty cannot prevent us from recognizing the Egyptian philosophy or love of wisdom and learning. The term sabite, teaching, employed by the Egyptians themselves was used to designate various texts of instructions, complaints and praises, including those belonging to the wisdom literature.
such ancient sages, sometimes turned into the archetypal authorities, as Harjjadet, Imhotep, Neferti, Kheti, Tahemjahuti, Kakheperezonbe, Tahotpa, and Kairis, mentioned by the papyrus Chester Beatty IV of Ramesside date, may be regarded as spiritual guides and philosophers. Also, we suspect that some kind of philosophy may be deduced from the symbolism of sacred art in the temple rites, because the later Platonic philosophy is consciously or unconsciously modelled according to the hidden ritualistic patterns. The wisdom literature, as such, constitutes only a small and perhaps modernised part of the abundant writings produced in ancient Egypt. It assigns the central position to Netir, God, in, as an anonymous term, regarded as creator and sustainer of all things, the sovereign lord, supreme judge and ever-present helper, the invisible and omnipotent shepherd of mankind. Man's responsibilities towards him consist of worship, obedience and trust, especially emphasised in the Ramesside age, when personal piety becomes an exemplary virtue. The idea of the truly silent man, Ger Ma, first found in earlier wisdom literature and developed by the New Kingdom, 1550 to 1070 BC, theologies, is really the Pythagorean ideal. The concept of silence is not only the prerogative of initiatives, <coughs> the prerogative of initiates who face the ineffable principle, but includes the proper attitude before a deity in the temple and in the worshipper's heart, good manners, in the presence of teacher, higher official and friend, self-control, gur, and subduing of passions exercised by the rational soul, to put it into later Hellenic terms. Sometimes this ruling principle is understood and represented as the overwhelming Ka of the Pharaoh, who himself is the son of Ra. The ancient Egyptian texts not only deal with the fate of the soul, Ba, into the netherworld, but provide the motivation for the good life here and now by doing the will of God, Sekeru and Netir. The admonitions inscribed in the tomb of Petosiris, the renowned sage and priest of Thoth around the 4th century BC, appeal to the living. O you who come afterwards, O every man who reads writing, come and read these inscriptions which are in this tomb, that I may guide you to the path of life and tell you your conduct in order that you may moor at the harbour of the city of generations. Should you hold firm to my sayings, you will discover their value, and you will thank me for them. This one, and similar texts, Sabite, advise the reader to follow truth and wisdom in every pursuit, 
i.e. to live and depart to the beautiful west, to die, according to the established patterns of a pious and righteous servant of God. A student of ancient civilizations must remember constantly that even in Greco-Roman antiquity, philosophy was regarded as spiritual guidance toward a happy life, as well as initiation, successful transformation, and integration into the divine chorus after death. I. Hadot describes it briefly as characterized by two paradigmatic formulas, learning to live and learning to die, where the latter formula can be regarded as the logical presupposition of the former. Seen in this light, philosophia is a method aimed at the elimination of irrational fears, ambitions and passions, at transformation and recovering of our essential identity. It requires the aspirant to act in a pious and holy fashion, oisibos kai hosios, realizing that all initiations and visions are conferred on intellect by the hidden powers within the immense temple of the gods, which is the universe itself. Everything is full of gods, according to Thales of Miletus. Therefore, in order to philosophize, it is necessary to be pious. Since a parallel is established between 1. A temple of initiation like that of Eleusis, and 2. The cosmos, the most holy of temples, Human beings observe many wonders and initiatory spectacles, mustaka theamata, in both of them. For this reason, the ancient Egyptians present the image of the probability, <clears throat> the image of the stability of principles in the holiest of temples, which is the world. The time between birth and death is an uninterrupted feast and liturgy, which must be perf properly performed. Quote, For the world is a very holy temple, and most worthy of God. Man is introduced into it by birth, and there he does not contemplate statues, agalmaton, made by the hand of man and deprived of movement but the sensible realities which the divine intellect has brought into being in imitation of the intelligible realities, as Plato says. Our life which is an, which is an absolutely perfect admission and initiation into these mysteries, moisen onta kai teleten teleotaten, must be full of confidence and joy, but these feasts which God offers us, and in which he is the mystagogue, are profaned if we spend the best part of our lives in lamentation, recriminations, and exhausting anxieties. Plutarch, de tranquillitate enemy. End quote. In antiquity, the theoretical side of philosophy if this specific side existed at all, apart from the general theological and mythical outlook, was subordinated to the practical side. 
this practical side, which included contemplation, was regarded as philosophizing proper and applied to all aspects of life, political, ethical, liturgical and mystical. Being considered as spiritual guidance and education toward all goodness, beauty and wisdom, ancient philosophy was only secondarily seen as a theoretical explanation of the world. And this explanation itself, along with the knowledge of epistemology and logic, served as an icon in order to provide the necessary intellectual conditions for a happy life, and for spiritual transformation and ascent, anagogue, or return, epistrophe, to the first principle, the source of all being, life, and intelligence. However, the philosophical schools which emerged in the 4th and 3rd centuries BC and introduced a new type of spiritual guidance, an organised work of love aimed at rationalisation of thought and conduct, considered that moral and ontological self-knowledge must precede all spiritual progress in the philosophical discovery of the hidden truth, Aletheia. But every philosophical tradition expected to teach its adherents how to die. This aim was achieved through the critical analysis of phenomena, self-examination and ascesis, largely derived from Egyptian and Pythagorean sources. The different kinds of commentary, allegorical explanation and symbolic interpretation were used, some found in the privileged texts written by the founders of Hyresis, others in divine oracles and sacred rites. Such hermeneutical practices were thought to lead to inner transformation and spiritual rebirth. Nevertheless, the written texts and logical systems of thought, constructed using powers of discursive reasoning, were regarded only as a temporary measure in place of personal instructions of the spiritual guide. Cat Hegemon. Hegemon. He shows the way, and therefore must be trusted and treated as a godlike father. Thus, according to this line of traditional thinking, the Stoic Epictetus presents an acute and revealing question. Quote, Do I go to my teacher prepared to obey him like an oracle? Or am I not also one of those who, in their folly, only go to school in order to learn the history of philosophy, to understand books which they did not understand before, and to explain them to others should the occasion arise? End quote from Discourses. <laughs> 